Thank you, worship team, and good morning again. Good to see you guys. Um, thanks for being here this morning. If you're listening online later, thanks for listening online later. Listening to CD later, thanks for doing that. Um, we're glad to have you wherever you are, however you're listening to this, and part of our experience here at GPC. Um, Greg and company, grateful to you guys. Thanks for what you do. Um, good stuff. Um, before I begin, um, just a reminder, public service announcement. As we fly by in our lives with one another, just remember, just know, there are people sitting next to you, in rows behind you, in front of you, who may or may not be here this morning, who can use a word from you of encouragement, of hope, of life, and of love. If only we had time in these moments we share to really talk about what's going on, we could be an abundant encouragement to one another. I just want to encourage you. See the people who are around you. Take a moment. Let them know you care. Give them the encouragement they could use this morning. All right. Thanks. We found ourselves in a, toward the end of a series this morning. We're, we're almost at the end. It's called Anchor Point. We're part number 10 of 11. Anchor Point uh, is here because we believe that there are times in life when your faith will be challenged, um, not only academically perhaps, but experientially too. There'll be things that you will go through and you will wonder, like the songs that we just sang about of how firm our foundation, how sure our salvation, that doesn't feel right or real at all. In fact, it doesn't feel like a firm foundation at all. And the salvation surely doesn't seem sure. And so what in the good moments am I going to anchor to that will hold me through all the times that are not going to be good and that are going to be hard when my friends or peers or whatever are kind of pulling back from the faith? What am I going to hold to? And so we've come to this little letter that was written by one of Jesus' followers called uh, Peter in the, in the New Testament called First Peter. And in there toward the end of the letter he writes this, and we've been kind of coming to this each week that we've been in this series. This is the reason for his writing. He says, I've written to you briefly encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Meaning this is true. This is the grace of God. This is what is true. This is what you can hold to. And your response to that and my response should be to stand fast in it. To anchor ourselves to this truth. And so for now, this will be week number 10. We've been on this series talking about what is this? What is it that I can anchor myself to, that I can hold to in the middle of very difficult times? So in a big picture view at a 30,000 foot level, we said this, um, and this is at the very beginning of this series. And if we can get our minds and hearts around this, it changes actually everything about everything for us. It changes everything about how we see the world. And it is this principle that I am not the center of the universe and God is. And here's what's important about that. Because if I'm the center of the universe, everything needs to be explained to me. I need to be able to make sense of my reality in order to continue. I need to be able to explain suffering. I need to be able to explain why bad things happen. I need to be able to explain, I need reasons that justify the actions of other people if I'm the center of the universe. But if I'm not the center of the universe, if everything doesn't run by me to be approved, and God is the center of the universe, and that changes everything about my scope and my view of life in, in, in its entirety. And so I'm not the center of the universe, and God is. Now, last week we were here, and we covered this issue. 
that every time I say no to me and yes to God or others, I'm choosing to live in the, in the true grace of God. Talking about desires, what we say yes to and what we say no to. We talked about the sacrificial cost of that last week, of, of hospitality that goes beyond serving meatloaf to one another, but hospitality that enters into the busyness and the hard work of other people's lives and cares for them where they are at. Now this week, we're going into um, a further section of this little letter that Peter is writing. And before I throw the principle up here, here's what I want you to picture in your mind. I want you to imagine, this may be hard for some of you, uh, because some of you are not sports fans and don't care about sports at all. That's okay. I still like you. But for this morning, just for a moment, I need you to imagine what it would be like um, to be going to a, a Philadelphia Eagles football game. I just, just, I know you may not even care about it. Some of you do. Okay. Just pretend for a moment you actually care about it and you're actually like semi-interested in the outcome of, of what is a worship event on Sundays in the fall and winter of football, okay? So you want to go and you're geared up and you're going with your friends and you, um, one of your friends decides to come and you, here's what you know, you, the tickets that you, you have are in kind of a season ticket section where there are some raucous fans, and, and you know it. I mean, it, it is, you know, not even PG-13 where you're at. It's a little worse than that. You know, just stuff happens, and then after the second half has uh, started, you know, the, the alcohol's been flowing, and things just come. And you know it's, it's a worship environment, not quite like here Sunday mornings, but you know they're, they're worshiping what they believe, right? And so you're ready to go, and you know it's going to be, you know, heart-pounding, whatever, pulsating excitement at the link in, in Philadelphia, and one of your friends decides, because it's Cowboys week, and he decides to wear a Cowboys jersey to sit next to you at this event. All right, now just, just think about that for a moment. Think about what might happen. Think about the experience of when you see him dressed up in the Cowboys jersey, and it's Cowboys week, and they're playing the Cowboys, and what might happen, you know, in the, the stadium? What might happen in the section that you're in? Now, if you have that image in mind, then you have the idea of what this morning is all about. <laughs> you have a picture, in a sense, of what Peter is writing to the Christians about. You have a, a sense of where we're going. Because here's what will happen. You will be surprised by your friend's decision to wear a Cowboys jersey. And he's going to believe so much in that that he's like, man, I'm a, why wouldn't I wear this here? What, I mean, what do you mean? And you know what's going to happen at the game. I mean, he's going to get all kinds of stuff thrown at him, literally, you know, sometimes there might be a fear for safety, right? I mean, this is, he's just going to you know, have the suffering kind of piled onto him. And you know what? He's ready for it. He knows it. And that's exactly why he's wearing the Cowboys jersey. And he would do it again. And that is, in a way, exactly what Peter is telling the Christians to do in the middle of a, a pocket of people who are a belligerent toward them. He's saying, continue to do surprising things. And when people are going to persecute you and look at you and be surprised that you would do that, continue to do surprising things. In fact, I put the teaching principle this way for this morning. That is this. Don't be surprised when people are surprised by you. <laughs> Instead, keep on doing surprising things. Don't be surprised when people are surprised by you, but keep on doing surprising things. And I want to flesh that out this morning in our text. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you don't own a Bible or have one with you, um, you can grab a Bible uh, in, the, in the row near you there. It's that little red book. You'll go into the New Testament, the right third of your Bible there, and um, you'll find Hebrews uh, and then James and then 1 Peter. Little tip, it comes before 2 Peter 
fewer laughs. Yeah, there are fewer laughs on that each time I say that. I think that joke has been burned through, all right? So 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning at verse 12, going through verse, verse 19. Um, and I'm just going to read the whole thing, and we're going to go through it after that. So Peter's writing again to people who um, are new to the faith, and they're experiencing persecution in the northwest province of Rome. Um, the Roman government is pushing in on them. The local governance is pushing in on them. And here's what he says. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, verse 19, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Now, you may or may not have heard me say over the, the weeks that we've been in this series that First Peter has a lot to do with two things, suffering and doing good. In fact, it's almost like a tennis match where suffering comes over the net and the volley, you know, it's your serve, the ball's in your court, what are you going to do with it? And Peter's response is, when suffering comes your way, your response as a Christian, he's consistent in this, is do good, hit it back with good. Do good, do good, do good. And so in the verses we just read, I don't know if you noticed, but five different times, five different times the word suffering or suffer is used just in these seven verses, in verses 12 to 19. So the suffering is coming over the neck consistently. And Peter finishes it out in verse 19, and we'll get to it more in a minute, but look at it again. Those who suffer according to God's will should give it themselves to their faithful creator and continue to, what are the last two words? Do good and continue to do good. And so this is, spoiler alert, this is where Peter is going to end this focus, is in the middle of your suffering that continues to come, just continue to do good. Continue to do good. Continue to do the good for all the people that are around you, okay? So let's back it up to verse 12 and ask some questions of this, because this is such an important text for us to get our minds around. The call from kind of out of the gate here is not to be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering. Um, as though something strange were happening to you. It's, it's like the Cowboys fan who's like, who, who would sit there in the middle of a game at the link and say, why are these people so mean to me? I don't get it. I mean, why can't we all just get along? I thought everyone was open-minded here. I mean, it's just foolishness to think that you can drop a guy who's a Cowboys fan in the middle of a bunch of rabid Eagles fans in the third quarter of a game that has playoff implications and expect they're just going to be nice and kind to him. It's just not going to happen. And Peter, in a way, is saying, listen, as a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're in a world, particularly in Northwest Rome at the time, but you're in a world in which people are looking at you strange. This is a new religious system. This is not Judaism redefined. This is new. This is Christianity. This is new. And therefore, what do you think people are going to say? What do you think people are going to say when you say, no, I can't go out tonight because I'm now, you know, my moral beliefs have changed. No, I can't spend money the way I used to because I'm different now. I mean, what do you think are going to, is going to happen? So they're saying, listen, don't be surprised. Just don't be surprised when the painful suffering comes your way. A couple of things to be clear on. Number one, the suffering that Peter has in mind is not suffering like cancer suffering, okay? It's not that kind of suffering. It's not suffering like... Um, 
you know, I ran out of money this month at the end of my paycheck and didn't make it to, to rent payment. I mean, it's not that kind of suffering. There's a million kinds of suffering. The suffering that Peter has in mind is suffering for being a Christian, for holding Christian values in a world that doesn't hold them, that doesn't cheer you on and say, you know, yeah, 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 go you. But this is the particular kind of suffering. And he's talking about painful suffering that comes. And he says, don't be surprised when you encounter painful suffering. Just don't be surprised. As though something strange were happening to you. It's not strange. It's deserved. And then he goes on in verse 13. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. A strange um, a strange call if we actually stop to think about that. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. In other words, your sufferings of someone who is saying, I'm following Jesus, and you're kind of being pushed in on that, you should rejoice and find joy in that reality. And this is just weird. It's just off. I don't find joy in suffering. I don't find joy in the pain of it. And Peter is saying, listen, you, as you identify your pain with the sufferings of Christ, you should find joy and satisfaction knowing this is what your Savior went through. You believe in Jesus, he too went through this. And he says, now, verse 14, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed. So, I want to I talk about this. Let, let, let's talk. Let's just imagine you're sitting around the table with me for a minute. Let's just talk about this. What Peter is saying is that the unique kind of suffering that's in play here is the suffering for being a Christian. It's the suffering for following Jesus when others don't. And so let, let's talk about what this means for you as a, a, a young adult, as a parent, as, as a young married, as a middle-aged married, in your career, right, with your health. Let's, let's talk about this for a minute. Because honestly, we're in a completely different context, aren't we? I mean, this isn't Rome that we live in. This isn't Rome at all. I mean, this is the United States of America, a pluralistic society, religiously tolerant, right, quote-unquote. You're allowed to express your freedom of belief anywhere, right, without any negative consequences, right? Your peers always respect you when you hold your convictions, right? I mean, so let's talk about this for a minute. What does this suffering look like in North America today? What in the world are we talking about when we say, if you suffer for being a Christian, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed? I mean, let, let, let's talk about that. And so we think about things, you know, early on up. You think of, think of the dating years that begin. I mean, come on, if you're in that stage right now, if you're in that stage right now, and I'm just so glad I'm not anymore. It's so exciting not to be there. Uh, but, you know, many of us have been in that stage. I mean, that landscape is, is full of all kinds of ideas that people have about how to connect and how to hook up and how to be together with one another and what is appropriate and not appropriate to do. And so for the follower of Christ, the question is, how do I function as a young person within the context of what it means to date, what it means to party, what it means to enjoy myself in a healthy and right way? And there's some things that just as a Christian... As someone who says, I believe that Jesus is my Savior, therefore, because he affirmed this, the Old Testament and the Scriptures to be true, therefore, I hold to the truth of the Scriptures. I mean, just talk about this for a minute. So if that's true, that as a follower of Jesus, I hold to the truth of the Scriptures, there are some things that, are, that have to be true for me that may not be true for other people. And so that means I'm just going to date differently, that my standards of affection toward other people are going to be different. That what I, what I eat, drink, and whatever might be different than other people. It just, it might be. And this is going to cost me 
friendships. It's gonna, people are going to look at me sideways. I'm going to have to deal with, am I willing to hear, um, yeah, you're, you go to church, don't you? You're one of the church people, aren't you? You're going to have to deal with, am I willing not to be invited to the parties? Is that kind of what I'm willing to do? Because that's what will happen to you. Because I'm telling you, here's the thing. When we, have a, when we hold to a moral standard, and, and you know this is true, when we hold to a moral standard, we don't even have to apply it to our friends. But when we are consistent with our moral standard, our friends somehow think, that we are applying it to them anyway, because here's what they feel in their minds, that if you feel that way about this, and if what you think is actually right, then it has an implication on me. And I don't want to think about that, therefore my response is to persecute you, is to make fun of you, is to diminish your faith system. Because I don't want to have to think about the possibility that the way that you are living might possibly be right. Because if it is right, then it's going to have an impact on my life. And I don't want to have to think that way. Therefore, the easiest thing for me to do is just to barrage it, is to make fun of you, is to harass you, is to look differently on you, is to spread rumors about you. That's just the way that it works. That works not only in the the dating world, that works in the marriage world, that works in the business world. I mean, let's talk about that. Running a business as a Christian businessman or woman, what does that mean? mean, What does that mean? What, What is the play for you? When you know, you just know your competitors are moving further up the road because you know they're cutting the corners. And, and so here's what Peter says. If you are insulted, if you are persecuted, if you are misjudged, if your reputation kind of goes down the tubes because of the name of Christ, because you're holding to something that is right from a, a Christian perspective, rejoice in that you are suffering as a part of, of relating that suffering to, to Jesus Christ. That's part of what it means to be someone who follows Jesus Christ. Your marriage, I mean, come on, let's talk about that just for a minute. Let's just talk about that for a minute. Isn't it, is it not true that the people who you're around will tell you, you're trying hard enough, you're doing good enough. I know you guys don't talk very much. I mean, everyone knows that you're whatever, you know, she's the way she is and he's the way he is, but I mean, you could try and hard enough, come on. What do, you, what do you expect? Perfection? Who do you think you are? Jesus? I mean, isn't that the message? Like, hey, if it gets too hard, listen, listen, we know you tried. Come on, you tried. I mean, divorce, you know, who likes it? But it just, you know, it just, it's available. You know, who likes it? But hey, you know, sometimes it happens. I mean, you've tried for like three years, like five years. You've tried for 15 years, and it hasn't worked out. I mean, who's going to blame you? I mean, isn't that the message that we hear? Come on, look out for yourself. And so the follower of Christ is saying, okay, If I follow Jesus, something has to be fundamentally different. Again, if Jesus affirmed the scriptures and I'm following him, then I have to follow what he he affirms. So my view of marriage has to be fundamentally different. No, it's it's, it's not okay for me to give up on this thing. It's not okay for me to pack it in. It's not okay for me to say, yeah, I've done enough. I have to continue to push into my relationship with my spouse. I just continue to do it. It's what Christians do. So if you suffer for that, Peter's saying, listen, Consider yourself, this is normal. Consider yourself blessed. Rejoice in that. If people look at you like, yeah, you're too much of a goody two-shoes. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. In other words, I don't want to think about the implications of your system on me. And so therefore, (laughs) I'm going to judge you. I'm going to be critical of you. And it's just the way that works. Just the way that works. So Peter goes on and he says this. Let Let me clarify. He said, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal. 
Meaning the suffering that I'm talking about as he's writing, the suffering is not the suffering that you get deservedly. So if you're going down the road and you get a speeding ticket and you were speeding and then you post on Facebook later, you know, man, I'm going through a period of suffering and trial. No, you're not. You're just getting the due, diligence, you know, due punishment for your, for, your, uh, for your action there, right? And this is what Peter says. Listen, there's some things that you do that are just worthy of a punishment. That's not suffering. That's not suffering. Don't, don't do that. That's not, that's not suffering. He says, that's not how we should suffer. If you should suffer, don't do it like that. But then he adds something at the end of the verse, which is very interesting. You shouldn't suffer as a thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as, and this is important, even as a meddler. Even as a meddler. This is funny. He actually introduces this word for the first time. This is, this is strange. He actually introduces this word. As far as our um, literature will go and our research will go, this is the first time this word shows up within the Roman world. That's actually a pretty big statement to make. This word, we believe, was coined by Peter right here to describe something and is used later on within, within the writings from the Roman world on up. And basically he's saying this, don't be a meddler in this. And here's where this is important. Going back to our, let's say, our, our party illustration or, or you know, that kind of thing for, for us. Don't be a meddler in that you're sticking your nose in places where you weren't supposed to be. So if there's a party going on, and you're not invited, and you know there's going to be things happening there that shouldn't happen in a home where no, there's no parents, don't go driving over to that home and be the one who sticks your nose in the business where you don't belong. You weren't invited. You're not responsible. Don't be a meddler in that sense. If you know there's stuff going on, and you, you know that it's, it's wrong, but it's not part of your business, you have no relationships there, there's nothing criminal going on, you know, you don't have responsibility. You just feel like you should be the moral police there, like coming through people's Facebook pages and trying to determine what's moral or immoral. Don't meddle. Don't stick your nose in places where even though you think it's wrong, you have no right or authority to be. That's an important concept for us to understand. He's not calling for us to be some kind of moral police and paging through everything that people do. Don't meddle. Now, in case Peter, people think Peter's getting weak, and saying, well, maybe I shouldn't be responsible for one another. He says this in verse 16. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So in other words, you're going to suffer, and you need to know that you're going to suffer as a Christian for holding your beliefs. It's going to cost you somewhere along the line. You're going to be misjudged, you're going to be misrepresented. That's just going to happen. However, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. You should know in context, um, the name Christian now uh, for us in North America, doesn't really have uh, significant negative connotations. Sometimes it does. But in particular here, it really did. In Acts 11.26 was the first time we see Christian coming up as a derogatory term that the Gentiles created. It's like they created this term, they're like, oh, you're a Christian. <laughs> and it's, it's to lump you and throw you into category of people that we're allowed to make fun of because you're a minority. We're allowed to make fun of you because you're a Christian. You're of the minority religious worldview. And so, yeah. Oh, they're one of them. Oh, they're, a, and we have those people in our world today too, right? We have people who live certain ways and make certain lifestyle choices, and we just say, oh, they're a whatever. Oh, okay. That explains it. That explains why they're different than me. Oh, because they're a, mm, and we fill in the name of a family or a religious sect or a group or something like that. Oh, they're just whatever. And we kind of use it derogatorily. That's the way it is here. They're Christian. He said, so if you suffer for being a Christian, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of that. But praise God that you bear that name. 
And then he continues in verses 17 and 18, and he kind of he sobers up and kind of toughens up his whole argument here. And he says, for it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Meaning that there is a, an aspect or a part of God's character that is a judgment piece that we rarely like to talk about. There's a part of God's character that um, is not like a wet noodle where we just say, man, God accepts everyone and just wants everyone to be saved and anyone and anyone who, who has any, um, uh, any interest in, in, in God can come to him. That's true. What sometimes follows with that is that therefore God has no claim on your life. Therefore you can live however you want. Therefore you can do whatever you want because God doesn't care because he just wants everyone to come. God does care and he wants everyone to come. He is fully gracious and he also has an element of judgment to his character. And Peter is bringing both to the table here. Jesus came full of, we, we talk about this in John, full of grace and truth. He's full of both full of an immeasurable amount of grace and full of an immeasurable amount of truth in the same person. And it's almost impossible for us to understand that. But both grace and truth are present in the person of Jesus and in the character of God. And so judgment is a part of this reality. And Peter's basically saying, um, if you're a Cowboys fan and you're sitting amongst the Eagles fans and they're starting to throw stuff at you and, and saying, like, I can't believe, you know, they go to church, they, they don't do anything fun anymore, and, you know, I don't like to do business with them, and, you know, they whatever. Um, just remember, Peter's saying, just remember. And without saying it, he's kind of saying this. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Vengeance is mine. You're not responsible for the suffering and the that is caused to you. You're not responsible for that. You don't have to make things right. God sees it and he knows. And judgment is coming both for the Christian and for the non. In other words, if the Christian thinks about it for a minute, and don't think too long or you'll be scared, thinks about a, a perfectly holy God bringing judgment into your life and into mine, it's a scary concept. And he said, if it's scary for you, imagine how scary it is for those who don't even believe God exists. Imagine what that's like. And so he's saying, listen, God's got it. He's kind of over it all. And then in the middle of all this, verse 19, so then, and here's the so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. In other words, no matter what comes to you, no matter what comes to you, continue to do the right thing. Continue to do things that surprise people. And this is why I put this phrase the way I did here. And that is, don't be surprised when people are surprised by you and your choices. Instead, continue to do surprising things. Because people will be surprised that you decide somewhere in the middle of my business to continue to run it this way even though it's going to cost you. Like, what's wrong with you? Why do you do that? People will be surprised that you date the way you do. No one else does that. Come on, who else is doing that? People will be surprised that you parent the way you do. Well, no one else really cares that much and does it to that degree, and they'll be surprised by, by that. People will be surprised by how much investment you make in your marriage. Listen, everyone is that way. It happens to everybody. Come on, why do you need to? Come on, come on, come on. People will be surprised by your integrity at work. Come on, everyone is just, I know you were a little late this morning, but you don't, it's 15 minutes, man. You don't need to report that. I mean, you don't need, just, just clock in and change that and whatever. I mean, it's not that big a deal. People are going to be surprised by what you do. And as you are doing that, it almost implicitly puts a claim on their life. Like, the reason I'm doing this is because I believe in Jesus. 
And it almost puts a claim on their life that they don't want to have to deal with. Like, maybe, therefore, there's a claim on my life, too. And so people will be surprised by that. And as a result, they're going to judge you. They're going to be critical of you. They're going to kind of think differently of you. Peter's saying, don't be surprised by that. You're, you're a Cowboys fan in Eagle Stadium. What do you think is going to happen? Don't be surprised when people are surprised by you, but continue to do surprising things. Continue to do things that make people think, whoa, this is different. I continue to push into them, and yet they continue to make those kind of choices. I continue to wonder why they do that, and they continue to do this. Continue to do the surprising things. And then don't be surprised when people are surprised by you, but continue to do the surprising things. Just continue to do that. Now, let's talk about the so what for a minute. So what? Number one, get your mind ready. <laughs> In other words, um, you're putting on the Cowboys jersey ready to go to the game. What do you think is going to happen? When you put on the name Christian and you say somewhere along the line that I'm actually a Christian, what do you think is going to happen? If you actually mean that, I mean, what do we think is going to happen? Therefore, I'm responsible to the claims of that. I'm responsible to that. That's what I do. Okay, so get your mind ready for this reality that as a Christian, this does not mean an ease socially that you should expect that, oh, because I'm a Christian and let's just happen to go with this concept that the general populace in North America is accepting of Christianity as a whole. Therefore, I'm a part of the majority within the North America, and I should be fine. I should have very little social resistance. Not true. Not for someone who believes in Jesus Christ. Not for someone who believes that they're following someone who has sacrificed their life on the cross. Not true. Get your mind ready for the truth of this. And I want to say this. Number two, um, keep the end in view. Keep the end in view. Um, if you look at verse 13 again in your text, um, here's what I see is so important here. Rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. There is this strange mix, kind of like James does in the book of James, of mixing joy and suffering together and mixing the honest reality of tough pain with joy that comes. Um, and maybe the best way I can explain it is um, to take you to a, to a biking analogy, if you'll allow me to go there. I don't think I use too many of them to, 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 to burn through those, but many of you know I enjoy um, biking, uh, road biking. Um, and I enjoy racing road bikes as well and, and the ensuing suffering that comes with that. Uh, there was a, a man named Tyler Hamilton many years ago now who raced on the U.S. Postal Service team with Lance Armstrong now, who many of you know that name and, uh, and all that comes with Lance. Um, before Hamilton got into drugs, and he did, um, he began his professional career with a, a stage race, they call it multiple days, in New Jersey. And the first day of that stage race was what they call a time trial. A time trial is a shortened version of a race, a solo effort, um, to go for a predetermined distance at essentially max effort and try not to blow up a red line, as they say. And so it was about a 25 or 30 minute effort that Hamilton had to deliver that day, and he knew it. Hamilton's background was um, alpine skiing, and so he enjoyed taking corners at, uh, at great speed and with higher risk than other bikers who were not used to that kind of leaning of the body at great speed around a corner for the fear of falling, obviously. So Hamilton gets up on what is a ramp to begin a time trial, and they'll, they'll let you roll off the ramp and begin your, your, uh, your venture there. And through his mind was going this fear of, I'm an amateur, and he was, and this is his first professional race. He's surrounded by a world champion, surrounded by people who belong here, and in his mind, in that time trial, he's beginning to sit, sitting there on the bike in a very solitary position to begin his professional career. He's wondering, do I belong? 
what am I doing here? And so he's sitting on his bike, getting ready to go, and the rain is coming down on this course. It's, it's very wet, and that complicates everything, to take corners at high speed on wet roads. Any painted line becomes like ice. Any white line, any dottering thing becomes your, your back wheel will go out, and you crash, you know, and it could be, could be really bad. So he's, he's getting up there, getting ready to go down. He starts going down into this time trial position and through the course, um, and he said, I've got nothing to lose. And he pulls on his alpine skiing background, and he, he, he fires through every corner that he can, and uh, taking greater risk than really, truly anyone else on the course would take. And here's what he, how he describes what's going on in his body in the middle of this time trial. He said, I knew, I knew that I was firing on all cylinders, because this is what happens to my body when I'm firing on all cylinders. The lactic acid builds up in my legs, and many of you who have exercised know that feeling of your, you say, my legs are burning, I've got to stop. So, so the legs are burning, the lactic acid is building up, and then I feel it come through my chest. It's coming up through my body, I feel it in my face, it comes down into my hands and under my fingernails, and I know I'm going. And then I taste the blood in my mouth. And then I know I'm beginning to hit where I need to be, and then I take it a step further. I'm like, you're a freak, Tyler Hamilton. Are you kidding me? Who does that, right? Because don't most of us, when we feel the pain in our legs, we're like, that's, hold on, need a breather. And this is his description of what's going on in his body during that time trial. Great suffering, and a bike racer knows it's really, in bike racing, it's all about who is most willing to suffer the most. And who's ever willing to suffer the most will get further ahead down the road. And this, in a way, is what Peter is saying. If you want to get to that end and look back with joy that I finished this thing well, and Hamilton finished in sixth place out of all of these riders in his first professional run, and you look back with great joy, but he came through that with great, great, great suffering. Peter says, listen, this is normal. This is life. What do you think you're in? What do you think? Do you think we're, we're having tea together? We're, we're following a man who walked into a city where he knew he was going to be crucified. He was going to be tortured and killed, and he walked into it anyway. And that is a man that you've said, yeah, I'm with him. What do you think's going to happen? We can't, can't just pull out when our legs start hurting. We can't just back away from our commitments to purity, to integrity, to honesty, to faithfulness, when it's inconvenient. We can't just back down from all that. Keep the end in view. Keep the end in view. This is what Peter's saying. Rejoice in those sufferings, but keep the end in view. There's going to be a glory from God that will be revealed, and keep that, that end in view. And in the process of that, keep doing the right thing. Keep on doing. Keep on doing the right thing. Keep on surprising people around you with how surprising your life is. Even when they look at you funny, even when they say, eh, you go to church, don't you? And you know that's not an encouragement, that's a, oh, that's a judgment. And Peter's saying, listen, what do you expect is going to happen? The suffering is going to come, it's going to be painful. But come on, don't give up. Don't stop. Keep on doing the surprising things, even when people are surprised by you. God's glory will be revealed. His judgment will come. He is a God who is a sovereign, merciful, compassionate, slow to anger God. That will come, that will happen, that's all a part of the package. But in the process, keep on doing 
the good for the people around you that you know you need to do. Keep on doing the good for your marriage that you know you need to do. Keep on doing the good for your children that you know you need to do. Keep on doing the good in your business, in your work commitments that you know you need to do. Keep on doing the good in your money commitments that you know you need to do. And for us, guys, for one another, part of the good as I began this whole message this morning, keep on doing the good for one another that we know we need to do for one another, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another to step into one another's lives, to be the body of Christ together, to care for, to love and support one another through everything. And what's it going to do? It's going to cost you, absolutely. It's going to cost us a lot. But that's what we do. That's what we do. We bear one another's burdens. We care, we support, we serve, we love one another. That's what people do. Let's keep on doing those surprising things together. Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the chance to be back in your word to interact with the challenge and the truth of First Peter here and the challenge of doing things that will surprise and will, in some cases, shock people around us by our commitments that are unusual to one another. I pray that you would give us courage to do what we know we need to do with this message, to step into relationships that we know we need to step into to begin a habit we know we need to begin, to stop a habit we know we need to stop, to write a note we know we need to write, to text someone we know we need to text, to encourage a person around us in a way we didn't anticipate before. Give us the courage, fathers, men and women, to keep on doing surprising things that are for the good of the people and the community around us. We'll ask for your courage in that process, and we'll pray this in Jesus' name.